So we are finishing up our series today called Won't You Be My Neighbor, and I hope you guys have been enjoying this series. Um, week one, I sang the song, and um, I've never gotten a better response out of anybody than when I sang that song. Um, and I messed up the words at the end. Do you remember that? That was bad. Um, Michelle didn't sing the song last week for some reason. Um, but uh, we, we've been doing this Won't You Be My Neighbor series, and for some of you, you've probably been thinking about your neighbors because we've been talking about neighboring throughout this series. Um, my neighbors, I had a really great neighbor and then a really not really okay neighbor at one point in my life. Uh, I live in a duplex. Some of you have been to my house. You know I live in a duplex. The house that was right next to me that was not attached to my house, we had really good friends that lived there. Um, And we had Brooklyn at the time, and they had a daughter. And what was awesome was we could go to their house, and the video monitor would reach to their house. So if you're new parents, you know this. Once you have kids, it's hard to go anywhere because they have to go to bed at a certain time. We could go to our, be- our friend's house right next door because the video monitor would reach. It was awesome. So we hung out all the time, and they would come over there. It was great having them as neighbors. We would share cutting the grass. We would do cookouts. We would do all this great stuff. But then the neighbor that was attached to me wasn't as great. Um, in fact, she was a single family. Uh, she, she was a single mom, and uh, she was around my age had two kids who were, uh, who were older than Brooklyn, and she just always, whenever she would walk in, she would just not look at me. And I remember being, like, annoyed about it and be like, why won't she, she won't say hi, she wouldn't talk. I would say, hey, how's it going? And she, she was like, hi, and just walk right in. That was it. My wife, she would try to talk to her, wouldn't get anything back. She didn't cut her grass. Um, she didn't do a lot of stuff that I wish she did. I would clean all the leaves out in my yard, and she wouldn't clean her leaves, so I'd come the next day, and all the, her leaves would now be in my yard. I'd have to clean them up again. I got so annoyed with this neighbor, um, and I just started just to avoid her. I started to not talk to her. And then my wife and I, uh, mainly my wife brought this up, and I was like, ah, don't, I don't want you to say that. Um, but she would say, I think we need to be a little more intentional in how we talk to her and how we interact with her, because we don't know what she's going through. She's a single family. She's a single mom. Um, she probably doesn't have a lawnmower. She, we should just go cut the grass, some of this stuff. So we started doing our best to be intentional to talk to this neighbor who I did not like. Now, this neighbor comes over for game nights all the time. This neighbor comes over our house. Uh, we do cookouts all the time with her because we took that first step, that step that I did not want to take. But we took that first step because my wife said, we need to try this. And because of that, we built a relationship. And throughout this series, that's what we've been talking about. We've been trying to figure out how we, as followers of Jesus, can love our neighbors. Because that's what Jesus said. We should love God and love our neighbors. The greatest commandment is to love our neighbors as ourselves. So we're saying, what if we took the greatest commandment and we made it literal? And we said, okay, we're going to love our neighbors as in everybody, of course. We're supposed to love everybody. But how are we going to love our actual neighbors, the people that live right near us. And in week one, we kind of brought out this, this idea, and we gave you some ho- a homework assignment, and we wanted you to get to know the names of your actual neighbors, because what we found out in week one, for those that were here, and week one, we found out that most of us, it was only like two people that could name the eight closest houses by name, only two people. And then about five of us could name half of the houses around us. Most of us could not name at least four houses around us by name. That's a problem. We should be able to say, know our neighbor's name. So week one, our, your homework assignment was to learn your neighbor's names. And I hope you've been doing that. And if you haven't been doing that yet, you're still time to do that. Uh, week two, if you didn't uh, hear Michelle's sermon last week, you should really go to the YouTube page or go to our website, Impact Church MD, because it was a great sermon. And she talked about one of the biggest issues that a lot of us have when it comes to getting to know our neighbors, and it's time. In fact, she said, here's the two problems, time and time, is that 
Uh, we, we often don't, it's, it takes a lot of time in order to do it, and we often don't have a lot of time. But what if we were intentional about our time and actually started to love our neighbors? So our goal throughout the series and our goal for you guys is for our neighbors from, to go from strangers to acquaintances and then acquaintances to relationship. That was our goal. We want them to go from a stranger to an acquaintance and acquaintance to a relationship. That's what we wanted you to start doing. And when you start to learn your neighbor's names, when you start to learn their names, it's easy for them to go from a stranger to an acquaintance when you know their name. Now, for some of you, this might come as a surprise when it comes to me. If you know me, you, you may know this, but I am a shy extrovert. And some of you are probably a little surprised by that, but let me explain that. I'm an extrovert because I love being around people. I'm fueled by people. Uh, my wife is an introvert. She is not fueled by people. She likes people. But if she needs to relax and, and unwind, she needs to go home and be by herself. Where I, if I want to unwind, I want people to come over and we can hang out. That is, that is fueling me. I like that. But I'm actually a little shy of an extrovert. In high school, if you knew me in high school, I was so shy. Like, no one knew I was there in high school because I was so shy. I was a really shy extrovert. Um, and here, like, when I'm in a comfortable situation, it's a little easier for me. Like, here I'm, I'm comfortable, so I can normally just talk to whoever's here. But if I go to, like, a store and to, like, the cashier, like, I'm really awkward. I don't know why. Like, they'll say a joke, and they'll be like, oh, what do you, and I just, I just don't know how to respond. I feel weird, because, like, I don't know if they actually want to talk to me. And so I just, when I go to a cashier, some of you guys are like me, I just kind of pay, and I just sit, stand there, don't say a word, because I'm shy, even though I'm an extrovert. I don't know what it is. And, and so for me, this concept that we've been talking about throughout this series is hard for me. And some of you have been hearing this, and you're like, this is hard for me, because you might be an extrovert, but you don't want to meet new people all the time. You want to be around people, or maybe you're an introvert, and you're like, this concept of, of getting to know your neighbors, that's hard, and I get it. It's hard for me, too. This is a really hard idea, and here's why I think it's hard for a lot of us. One word. That word is fear. I think for a lot of us, fear comes into play. We have the time excuse, which we talked about last week, but for some of us, we're just a little afraid to get to know our neighbors. We're afraid. We have a lot of fears. I have a lot of fears. If you know me, you've heard some of my fears. I'm afraid of geese. I legitimately am. They're terrible animals. Uh, I'm afraid of clowns, because why wouldn't you be? <laughs> clowns are terrible. Um, the, the new It trailer came out, and a lot, of you, a lot of you sent it to me, and I watch it like an idiot. Why did I watch that? Um, I'm also scared of space for some reason. Like, I don't know, not like, I have a legitimate fear of being lost in space forever. And I don't know why. It's not going to happen, right? But for some reason, I, that concept of like floating in nothing forever just terrifies me. I'm afraid. But I also at times am afraid to talk to my neighbors. I'm afraid to look dumb in front of them. I'm afraid of that. Some of you, you're afraid of public speaking, right? How many would say you're afraid of public speaking? Okay, great. Uh, Morgan, you want to come up here and tell us why you're afraid of public I'm just kidding. Some of us, we're, we have different fears, right? We are afraid. Where for me, I'll go to a missions trip and I'll get to know all these new people. It'll be easy for me. But for some reason, getting to know my neighbors is hard. Do you know why for some of us that's true? When you go to a missions trip, you come back and you leave them there. Your neighbors are always near you. They see everything. They're around you. They hear you. They see how you interact with your kids. They see what you do with your yard. They see everything. So for some of us, it's fear. So the question we need to wrestle with is, how do we overcome our fear in order to properly love our neighbors? So in order to overcome our fear, what's the opposite of fear? For a lot of us, we would think the opposite of fear is courage. 
I need to be brave. I need to be courageous. But actually, the opposite of fear is not courage. The opposite of fear is faith. The opposite of fear is actually faith. Um, when the disciples were with Jesus and, um, at, on the waters and the, the boat's rocking and they're scared because they think they're going to die in the sea, uh, the, Jesus comes to them in Mark and says, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? When we lack faith, that's when fear comes in. So courage, the idea of courage, that is your faith on display. I am okay with public speaking. I have courage when I'm up here and because I, I have faith in my ability. I have faith that you guys will like it enough. For some of you that are scared of public speaking, you don't have faith in your ability. You don't have faith that the audience is going to like what you have to say, so that brings fear. Courage is faith on display where your anxiety and your worry, that's fear on display. So the opposite of fear is faith. So how do we overcome our fear in order to move a stranger from an acquaintance and an acquaintance to a relationship. So we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 7. Here is a great example of Jesus doing this, of Jesus being intentional about his neighbors and intentional about seeing who needs help and how we love them. So Luke chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 36 if you have your Bibles. It will also be up on the screen as well. Verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. I always found that line funny. Like Jesus just like showed up and put his feet on the table. Like, all right, I'm here. I'm doing what I want. Um, Verse 37. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. So here, Jesus is at a banquet with uh, a guy named Simon. We learned his name later. Simon, he's a Pharisee. Um, and here, when it sounds like this woman just kind of showed up in their house, but that's not how it worked. When you had banquets, there was a courtyard. And so they were at this courtyard hanging out. And so there, where, there's a lot of high traffic. People can see them. And, and this woman, who's a sinner, it says, sees Jesus. Now, whenever the Bible says that um, a woman is a sinner, most of the time, if not all the time, she's a prostitute that they're labeling her as a prostitute. They're saying she's a sinner, that you can translate that to prostitute. So here, this woman is a known prostitute. She sees Jesus, and she must, I don't know what she heard. She, I'm sure she heard a sermon from him. I'm, heard, I'm sure she heard about Jesus at one point. So she decides, I'm going to go up to Jesus. And she has her alabaster on. Here's what she does in verse 38. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. See, back then in that culture, washing someone's feet, that was a sign of respect. That was a sign of, of respect. Um, one time in youth group, when Frank and I were helping lead youth group, we had the students uh, wash each other's feet. Um, they hated us. They did not want to do it, right? But back then, that was a normal thing. That was a sign of respect to wash someone else's feet. This woman is not just washing Jesus' feet, she's washing Jesus' feet with her tears and using her hair to wash them. What does that mean? She is showing complete adoration, complete dedication, pouring herself on to her, onto him. That's what she is doing. And then she has this perfume, and this perfume is most likely the most expensive thing she owns. It's an alabaster jar. And she takes it, and she pours it all over his feet. Uh, normally, what you would do with oil is you would anoint someone's head with oil. That's what you would normally do. Um, but, this, but you do that for someone that you respect and you think you're on the same level with. This woman does not think she's on the same level as Jesus. So she decides, I'm going to take the most expensive thing I have and not just put a little bit on, her, on his forehead. I'm going to pour it onto his feet. 
is to show complete surrender and adoration to Jesus. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he didn't say this out loud, he said it to himself, if this man were a prophet, he wouldn't know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And she, he's thinking in his head, Jesus knows who she is. I mean, if he's at least a prophet, which I don't even know if he's a prophet, if he's at least a prophet, you would never allow a prostitute to touch you at all, let alone wipe her hair and her tears all over your feet. You would never allow that to happen. So this, this Pharisee named Simon is starting to think about this and going, who would do that? Does he, what is he thinking here? And Jesus, being fully God and fully man, knows what this man's thinking, knows what Simon's thinking. So he tells this story in verse 41. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to put him back, to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? So here's, let's give you a real life example of this. Let's imagine there's a guy that uh, owes 5,000 bucks to the bank and he's having trouble paying it. Maybe he has a credit card that he maxed out, he can't pay it, maybe he has a couple debts. There's one guy who has $5,000 that he owes to the bank. Now there's another guy who not only has one credit card maxed out, not two, but four or five credit cards maxed out. He can't pay his house payment, his house has been foreclosed on, they're repoing his car, everything he has, he has to go to debt because he has so much debt, and he owes $250,000 worth of debt. And let's say the bank sees both people, one that with $5,000, one with $250,000, and says, hey, both of your debts are canceled. You don't owe that to us anymore. The person that owed 5,000 bucks, that's a great day, right? You're gonna celebrate that, that's awesome. But the person who owed $250,000, that's life-changing, right? That's, that's a miracle. Your, your whole life is gonna change because of that action. So Jesus tells this story and he asks Simon, so who do you think, who do you think will love him more? Who do you think will appreciate it more? I love Simon's response. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled? Like, Simon knows the answer. You ever have someone that's, like, asking you a question and you know it's leading you somewhere and you know it and you can't go? He's like, I suppose the one who's, obviously, I know which one it is. I suppose the one whose debt has been canceled. And then verse 43. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. The first line, it says, do you see this woman? Do you see her? Because Simon, a good host would have offered me water. You didn't even do that. But she uses her tears to wash my feet. Simon, a good host gives a kiss on the cheek to an equal. Back then, that's what you did. Or a, kiss, or a kiss on the hand, which showed a student-rabbi relationship. You didn't do either of those things, but she wouldn't stop kissing my feet. Do you see this woman? Simon, you didn't even give me common olive oil to anoint my head, like everyone does, and that doesn't cost much. But you see this woman who took the most expensive thing she had and didn't give me a little, but poured it onto my feet. Do you see this woman? And that's the question I want us to wrestle with. The question I want to wrestle with is this. Do you see what is going on around you? Do you see it? Do you see what is happening in your neighborhoods? Do you see what is happening to the neighbor 
right next door. Just like I didn't see it. I saw my neighbor as someone who never cut their grass and was not, and would, and was not pleasant to me and wouldn't say hi. When really she was someone that didn't have a lawnmower, that needed help, and that was shy. Do we see what is going on around us? Do you see the possibilities that God has placed in front of you to minister to the people around you? Do you see the possibilities that God has placed right next door to you to be Jesus? Do you see possibilities? For some of us, we, it's right in front of us, but we just don't see it. You ever have that happen to you where you're looking for something and it's right in front of you and you just didn't see it? One time, um, when I was student pastor, um, I, I, was, uh, I had keys, and I was looking for my keys, and I could not find my keys to save my life. So I made a big deal about it. I was like telling all the students, hey, I need help. I cannot find my keys. Everyone's looking for my keys. We're looking for my keys for 15 minutes. I, I just cannot find them. I can't go anywhere. I can't leave because my keys are gone. Some of you know, know this happened to you. And eventually someone said, did you check your pockets? I said, of course I checked my pockets. I'm not an idiot. So we're looking around, and I'm like, I'm going to check my pockets one more time. And I found my keys. So what I did, because I'm a prideful man, is I threw my keys. <laughs> and then I pretended like, oh, here they are. I found them, guys. We're good. By the way, I want to know. We do that sometimes, don't we? Where we don't see what is happening right near us. We don't see what is happening right around us. And here's what we do in order to avoid seeing them. I do this too. Know what we do? We label them. Because when we put people and we label them in a certain category, it makes it easier for us to avoid them. I do the same thing. I'm not talking to that neighbor. That neighbor's weird. That's a weird neighbor. I'm not talking to that neighbor. That neighbor is nothing like me. That, that neighbor doesn't have any of the same values as me. I'm not talking to that neighbor. I'm not talking to them. We label them. And what we do is we let ourselves off the hook because they are this. And we think, I, I, I don't need to love them because, look, they're so different than me. They are so beyond me. And it goes back to what we talked about right at the beginning. It goes back to fear. We always fear what we do not know. We always fear what we're uncomfortable with. We always fear the unknown. And when there's somebody that's completely different than us, for a lot of us, we are afraid. So we avoid them and we label them to give us a way out. And some of that is because of the culture we live in. I mean, if you watch the documentaries, you've, watched, you've read the news, you've seen all these different things of people that had great neighbors and it turned out to be a serial killer. You've seen that stuff, right? So all of that stuff and then social media included to that has, has increased our anxiety to a point where we try to avoid anyone that's different than us and we use it as an excuse. Now, I'm all for discernment, okay? I'm all for discernment. If somebody's really giving bad vibes, don't let your kids around them, I get it. But for me at least, a lot of us, we use discernment as a way out. I'm just, I'm just discerning. When God is saying we should love our neighbors. So how do we practically do this? And I'm going to give you one last story and then we're going we're gonna to close. How do we practically do this? Let's look at what Jesus did. How did Jesus do this? In Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 31, Jesus says this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. This, this guy named Levi is also can be called Matthew, who wrote the book of Matthew. He's one of the disciples. Sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, 
It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time somebody looked at you and said, you know what their problem is? Know what their problem is? They hang out with too many people that are completely different than them. That's their problem. When was the last time? It's been a long time for me. See, Jesus, he's with Matthew, a tax collector, who is the worst of the worst. Everyone hated tax collectors. A tax collector and sinners were completely different than Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He goes to a party with all of Matthew's sinners, sinner friends, and tax collecting friends. And he goes to that party, and he parties with them. He doesn't become them. He doesn't act like them, but he hangs out with them. You know why? To show them that he loves them. So here's what I want us to do. I've, we've been giving homework every week. Um, week one was, it was learn your neighbor's names. I hope you've been doing that. Week two, we talked about how you should spend more time, so be intentional, go outside. Now, this homework is going to be the most fun homework I've ever given you, okay? And I want you guys to do this in the next month or two. Here's what I want you to do. Here's your homework. You ready? I want you to party. I want you to party. I want you to throw a party. That's what I want you to do. In the next month or two, I want you to throw a party and invite your neighbors. I don't know how that looks like for you. Maybe for you, it's a cookout. You have a cookout and you invite the closest neighbors, hey, we're having a cookout, we'd love to have you come over. Throw a party. Maybe for you, it's have it, throw a block party. You can go all out. That's what uh, my wife and I are gonna do. My wife and I, we're gonna bring out our grill to, to, the, um, to the sidewalk and we're gonna invite all of our block and say, hey, if you wanna come on over, uh, grab a hot dog, grab a burger, we'd love for you to do that. You can bring something if you want, you don't have to. I don't know if HOA-wise I'm allowed to do that, bring the grill out there, but whatever. I'm gonna do it anyways. Rebel pastor, right? Um, so that's what we're gonna do. Maybe for you, that's, that's like way too big of a step for you. So maybe for you, you have a game night and you invite a neighbor that you've never had over to your house. Maybe for you, 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 have, you make dinner and just invite one of the neighbors you've never had over and invite them over to your house. Your homework is the party. I want you to throw a party and invite the people that are nothing like you and invite the people that you feel uncomfortable with and invite them over to your house because this is how we take it from a stranger to an acquaintance, an acquaintance to relationship. Here's what I know and I'm gonna close. When I read what Jesus says, when I read what Paul says, when I read the New Testament, over and over and over, I hear the same thing. Hey, if you're, gonna, if you're not going to do anything else, the most important thing you need to do is love your neighbor, okay? And if anything else, make sure you love your neighbor. In fact, Paul says this way in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping the one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So if I constantly am reading in my Bible that if you don't do anything else, make sure you love your neighbor, why would we not love our neighbor? If you worked at a place and they said, hey, I don't care what else you do, but while you work here, you need to do this one thing at least, at least do this one thing, you would make sure you did it, right? If you were smart, you would. So I don't know about you, but when I constantly read, hey, make sure you love your neighbor, I think we should love our neighbor. And again, that means we love everybody, but it also means we love our actual neighbor. When we do this, it may change our neighbor's life. It may change them. When you do this, it may change your neighborhood, but it may not. But here's what I know it's going to do. If you start to actually practically love your actual neighbors, it will change you. I promise. It will change you. 
Your perspective will change. The way you look at your neighborhood will change. The way you look at other people will change. When you are practically and intentionally loving your neighbors, you will change. And when you start living out the greatest commandment to love your neighbor, and you do that saying, I'm not going to metaphorically love my neighbor. I'm going to actually love the neighbor that I don't get along with, the neighbor that's so different than me. When you do that, you know what you're doing? It's a church word, discipleship. That's what it is. We are evangelizing and we are discipling. That's what we're doing. And that's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. A lot of times at church, I think we like to think of discipleship as as a class you have to take or a mentorship and a menteeship. All those are discipleship, of course. But you know what else is discipleship? Throwing a party and inviting the people that are nothing like you to it. That is called discipling. It is. See, our goal is to help people move a little closer to meeting Jesus. And then once they meet Jesus, to grow and look more like Jesus. If you help someone go from here to here, and they haven't met Jesus yet, but they're a little closer, you are discipling. That is what you are doing. The greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. So your homework assignment is to throw a party. And what I want to encourage you to do is when you throw this party, and I'm hoping you do, I know not all of us will, but I'm hoping that you take this seriously. I w- we want to see it. We want you to send some pictures that you take during your party. We want you to take some videos and send it to us on the back of your impact cards. You'll see, you can email it to us at info at impactchurchmd.com. We want to see, because we want to celebrate with you the fact that we are being a difference maker. That's our goal here at church, is to be a church that makes a difference. What better way to make a difference than to love our actual neighborhood? to love our actual neighbors. Can we pray together? Dear God, I thank you for the love that you've just poured out on us and thank you for your grace and your hope. Guys, we finish up this series about neighboring, about loving our neighbors. I pray that you convict us to take the step we need to take. To take that step to practically and intentionally love our neighbor. You said it's the greatest. You said if you're not going to do anything else, make sure you love your neighbor. Help us to take that seriously. Some of us, time is the issue. Help us to figure out how we can use the time that we do have to live out the greatest commandment. For some of us, it's fear. We, we, we are afraid to do this. Help us to move past our fear and have faith in you that if you tell us that we need to love our neighbor, that we should do that. Help us to take the steps you want us to take. Help us to love our neighbors. We love you, we praise you. In your son's name, amen. And we're going to um, close out this series today with, uh, with one last worship song.